TCL, the official smartphone partner of Seattle Sounders FC, presents the TCL 10 Pro. Get ready to experience the unparalleled visual power of the TCL 10 Pro with Next Vision technology. A curved display and 64 megapixel quad camera system provide sharp performance and brilliant color. Work and play without limits, thanks to TCL 10 Pro's powerful processor, fast charging battery, and a full suite of Android software to get things done. There's nothing stopping you. Available at TCLUSA.com. Listen to this. Sakawani, the flying winger. Here's Brad Evans. It's Steve. It's Steve. Who is it? It's Brad Evans. <laughs> Happy days are here again. Turning with a drive. It's Steve Sakawani. Evans with the left foot. He's an attacking threat, Brad Evans. This is so weird. The party has started. Hey, what's up, everyone? Um, we're here. Steve Rekwani and Brad Evans, um, winging it with Zach and Brad, Sounders FC official podcast. And we're coming to you, obviously, in a very um, difficult week for a lot of people, I think, for the whole country, actually, um, where, you know, it was already a difficult time because of COVID-19 and people have been cooped up in the houses for three months at this point, most of us here in Washington. Um, and then, you know, there's just an eruption of protests, um, justified protests, really, um, around the whole country and the world now. So it's been a very emotionally charged week for a lot of people, obviously. I think there are a lot better forums that, you know, I intend personally to express myself through in the very, very near future. Um, not here, but we would be um, remiss if we didn't at least address what's happening here, especially since some of the more um, passionate protests have actually taken place here um, in Seattle, Washington. So, you know, I think it's something that we have to come to grips with, come to terms with, try to understand. You know, I think most of us are logical and reasonable and can agree there's a problem. And most of us are logical and reasonable and can agree that, you know, the the extreme side of the protest where you're having property damage and things happening, of course, nobody's happy about that. But we don't want to look at just that and completely ignore um, the cause for myself, you know, and I don't speak for black people. Nobody speaks for black people. I think that's something as well that I try to stay away from. Everybody has different feelings. I speak just for myself. I can say I know for a fact um, in conversations that I've had, which didn't begin this week, but I've been going on for years and years and years, that this was more than you know, the murder of George Floyd. This was um, a combination of many, many injustices that take place every day. Most of them they're not really noticeable it's small biases and subconscious acts that you have to undertake um to to get through society and keep your sanity i think it was just a culmination of that and it all came to a head Uh, i mean 40 million americans have lost their jobs there's income inequality is the worst it's been all these factors um led people over the top to say enough is enough and i think people aren't at this point black people are not asking for understanding or for healing i think they're asking for change like let's actually change something so we can all live here peacefully and equally you know i'm under no illusions that what i did for a living gives me a certain privilege you know i have been pulled over before and the police would come to my door and they would know who i am and so everything would be fine they would say good luck this weekend so i understand that um even i have privilege to some level but if i strip away my profession i 
you know, I'm a cashier somewhere or I'm something in a position that doesn't have public visibility, um, I'm right back to um, be, being seen as a threat. So I think it was the combination of that. And the last thing I'll say on that is I think the manner of the murder of George Floyd, because um, it wasn't a shooting, it was a knee on the neck for nine minutes or so, um, a slow, painful death crying out for help, I think is the perfect metaphor for how many black people feel um, not just in America, too. I want to be clear. It's not just an American thing. It takes place in England um, in terms of structural racism. Um, in Africa, believe it or not, it takes place as well. You know, I'm born in the Congo, where in the 1900s, 10 million people were genocided by a Belgian king, So, which isn't really taught in history. So th there's a lot of pent-up anger and frustration that spilled out. And when it spills out, um, it's going to be very hard to contain, and that's what we're seeing. Um, so when I see Colin Kaepernick take a knee, um, I understood it right away. I knew what he was doing. I understood it. I supported him quite openly because I knew. And I, the only thing I've been wrong on is I thought it would take 50 years for Colin Kaepernick to be vindicated, just like it takes for Martin Luther King or Muhammad Ali and some of these great leaders. But it took four years um, for people to actually come around and say, Colin was right all along. Um, there is systemic issues, not just in institutional policing, but education, housing, banking, everything, every sports, every single factor of life, it affects you. And you can't hide your blackness. I wake up, I'm black. I walk down the street, I'm black. It doesn't matter who I am. Um, I'm, still, I'm still black. And every single day, you know, I've told people this week that I like to take walks late at night, 9 p.m., 10 p.m. But the biggest decision isn't where I'm going to walk which direction I'm going to take, what music I'm going to listen to, the biggest choice I have to make is what am I going to wear? Because I like to wear hoodies, but it's late night. If I wear a hoodie, even if I'm two minutes from home, it takes one phone call to say there's a strange black man walking in the neighborhood, and that could be it. And I'm very conscious of that. So I have to decide what to wear based on that. If I'm walking down the street and I see people walking towards me, I cross the road to make them feel comfortable. Um, these small things um, take place every day. It's exhausting. And I think that's where... America is at, that's where England is at, that's where the world is at. And the thing that gives me hope is the majority of the world appears to understand and be reasonable. And it's not a black versus white, it's people against racism to say, you know what, enough is enough. These injustices can't continue. People shouldn't live like that. We should live in equality. White, black, Hispanic, Asian, everybody, let's just enjoy. And do the best we can let's correct some of the wrongs that have taken place and let's move forward and give everyone opportunity so I, I have hope when i see the protest the peaceful protest um i have hope that the message will be heard so that will be my take on it um i think everyone should not lose sight of the fact the cause and look beyond george floyd look at brianna taylor's murderers who died two weeks before george floyd and there's three of them and she was sleeping she's an emt and she was shot eight times and died and nobody's been charged um i can list off the list of names terence crutcher freddie gray alton sterling philando castillo eric garner tamir rice it goes on and on and on sandra bland and very few times are charges brought and arrests made so that i think is also a big frustration and i my final point would be the reason people protested the murder of george floyd was not because George Floyd was killed, it was because the helplessness in knowing that nothing would probably happen to the um, the murderer, that he probably wouldn't be charged, even though it's on camera, even though it's so obvious it wouldn't be charged. They're going to blame the victim. They're going to say he had underlying issues. They're going to say he stole 
um, from a shop when he was 14. They're going to say he bought weed to school when he was nine. They're going to start to victim blame. And we knew right away. And so it was a sense of helplessness. And I think that's why people protested to say this is not going to go unchecked. And I feel good about that. And, you know, obviously I'm on this podcast with Brad, who's white. And I shared the locker room with Brad for five years. I shared locker room with Colombians and Cubans and Africans and Americans. And it was never an issue because that's one thing sports does. It strips those differences for the most part and you can just play. But the issue becomes when we leave Starfire, when we leave CenturyLink Field, we go back into society where if we're anonymous, we go right back to not being a star athlete. We go right back to being black people in the community. So that would be my take on it. Um, for Brad, what I would say to you is, I know you're an, obviously an American. I'm not an American. I've been here 13 years, but I'm not an American. I'm from England. I'm African. Um, from an American white person, I would say, for Brad, what is sort of your perspective, your take? What feelings are you feeling as well during this time? Yeah, um, I think your sentiments are spot on. And, I, and like you said, I think that the majority are, are standing um, you know, with the community and the protests were just. I, I woke up this morning and, and just did some more reading. Um, and I kind of got into um, a little something I just wrote that says the inability to see that what we did was wrong. Mm-hmm. Our ancestors, my ancestors, came from a homogenous society and said, we want something new. So they came, they brought their ideas to a place that was already inhabited by a people that was thriving and lived for centuries successfully. Brought with them ideas, and if you didn't adhere to those ideas, you were forced into it or you were killed. Mass genocide here as well, Steve. Mm-hmm. We then decided that wasn't enough. We needed more. So we stole and brought humans from their homes and brought them to a foreign land and said, you will adhere to these rules. And if you don't, you will be raped, beaten and killed. Systematic racism means that only counting three of five blacks. uh, So to retain a greater presence in the House and Senate seats, white privileges, being able to say indigenous peoples of Australia don't count for electoral college purposes. We wanted trade with the East in the late 1800s, but when Asians became too willing to work at a lower wage or too good at farming, we said, no, you've got to go. Signing bills to stop the immigration from the East until the 40s. Yellow peril was a racist tactic as well. Only 80 years ago, Japanese were put in internment camps, even though no threat was detected. White privilege is being able to give them 20 grand and say, I'm sorry. The idea of white privilege is that everything around us is catered to us. When I go into a store, if I want to buy hair color, everything is is for me. It's things sometimes we don't even think about in a store, the way that it's set up, it's set up for white people. White privilege is writing exclusionary zoning to prevent minorities from moving into middle and upper class neighborhoods. Still goes on today. When somebody says, well, all lives matter, or why don't you just leave? Well, they were brought here by us fought here with us. They were three-fifths fighting with us. We're segregated with you. And now what they're asking is for help just to feel like we feel. Brilliantly said, Brad. Absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. I think that's brilliantly said. Um, Yeah, fantastic. I think you expressed the sentiments of black people, white people, 
um, every everybody, everybody um, who just is sick and tired and wants to see change. And to put a bow on it, I would say yesterday I was privileged to have a conversation with uh, African-American veteran who fought in wars for this country. And he had seen some of my posts and he asked to get in touch with me. And he said, you know, I fought for this country and I'm so proud to be American. Um, the issue is when I came back from the war, I still couldn't drink out of certain fountains. I still couldn't stay in certain hotels. I still couldn't have my kids go to certain schools, even though I had bled um, for this country. And that's what we need to change. So I would say the system is not broken it's actually very successful because it's working exactly as it was designed to work. So it's not enough to say we need to rebuild the system. We have to completely dismantle it and build from the ground up. It's not a broken system at all. It's working exactly as it was designed and who it was designed for. And that's where I think our work needs to be for the next two, three, four hundred years, way beyond our lifetime, um, that future generations just won't deal with this crap and we just literally live out the dream of Martin Luther King, where people are judged by the content of the character and not the color of the skin, whether they're black, white or anything else. So very well said. There'll be more to say in the future um, on different forums, different platforms, but we had to um, be very clear to address this. We do live in society where we're citizens of the world as well, and we're here. We're not immune to what's happening. And many of you who listen um, are aware of what's going on. And so we wanted to confront that in no uncertain terms um, straight on. So stay tuned, guys. We do have some other talk to get to. We have a couple of great guests. Um, Kai Komaro, who's no stranger to Seattle. He's played against us so many times for so many different teams. And also we'll be hearing from Harry Ship. Um, obviously, if you've been following some of the football news with Major League Soccer, they've been... It's been interesting, so we'll get Harry Ship's perspective on that. Um, stay tuned, we'll be right back. Calling all Sounders fans. Do you know a community hero? Now more than ever, we want to recognize those that are going above and beyond to serve our region. Whether grocery store workers, healthcare professionals, janitors, restaurant staff, or friendly neighbors, our community is full of courageous individuals who deserve our thanks. Please nominate your community hero at soundersfc.com slash community heroes for a chance to have CHI Franciscan and Sounders FC honor them with a VIP experience. All right, folks, welcome back um, to Winging It. And I'm delighted to say we're joined by someone who's been on before way, 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 way back in the day, but he's back on. Really, he's not a stranger to Seattle Sounders. He's never played for us, but played against us a ton of times. Right now, he's playing for Colorado Rapids, um, one of the few guys in MLS history with over 100 goals, one of the most accomplished players in league history. Kai Kamara joins us now. Kai, how are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm surviving, you know, hanging in here. Uh, staying positive during yeah. all these times, but uh, definitely uh, thanks for you know for enlightening me and bringing me into this form. Perfect. Um, there's a lot we can ask. Obviously, things going on with MLS. You guys have somehow got back into training. Um, you are looking forward to potentially having some kind of season and things like that. But I do want to start you know with an era that I know you're passionate about. Um, obviously, you've seen what's been happening around the world, not just America, this week. So just maybe a couple of thoughts on your take on that and how we can move forward as all people around the world. Yeah, man, just, you know, sad that, uh, you know, we have to go through this. But, 
we were all hoping when I say we black people were hoping that one day, you know, we would be looked at, you know, in a positive way and not be discriminated. Um, and I know obviously for the league that we play in, in MLS, we do run a, a discrimination campaign, soccer for all, you know, and try to bring everybody as welcome, everybody together. And, but it's not like that everywhere. It's not like that everywhere in America, but, um, for a young man like myself, you know, coming into America, it was always, you know, not the sweet, needy, like, sweet stories, you know. I tried to just keep a blind eye to it and just put my focus into soccer because soccer gave me that peace. But right now, to me, I'm just super, super, you know, proud of the world, not proud of just the black race or black people but just the world because now it's not just me having to put a post about Trayvon Martin or put a post about Amount, you know, it's the people that has nothing to do with it that's coming and holding our hands and holding together and saying, you know what, we've all been at home too. Thanks to social media, we've all seen all these videos and seen all these things and kind of just see it for a day and let it go by. But now we're all in this fight together. So it's really a proud moment to see these things happening. I um uh, I'm mad, you know, Steve and I talked about this before. I'm mad, I'm angry, um and I don't think that enough stories get told by by players and I think, you know, I was talking to my uncle and he said that he has been co compartmentalizing events that happen in his head, small events mm -hmm. for the past 25 30 years that um, you know, have kind of gotten to him and then all of a sudden this kind of brought out a Pandora's box of what he had experienced growing up in Chicago. Um, do you guys feel that same way? Do more stories from athletes need to be shared on a regular basis so that we all understand on a regular basis, not just seeing a post once, once a week from, you know, a Kai Kamara or a Steve Zakawani or every two weeks. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Do we need to see more and be more, involved to to really for those of us that don't understand or people that don't understand to share more or is it something mm -hmm. that you feel like you keep inside because you just want to put your head down and you just want to work and you just want to provide for your family and just go about your business yeah a little bit of both a little bit of both Brad. because um the way you see it sometimes is you know what am i going to change you know what am i really going to change if i just keep venting on social media and people are just going to look at it like, oh, here it goes again. You know, Kai is the one that always likes to post. Kai is the one that, you know, gets this, you know, repetition of this, this. And we see that. But I think when, you know, these events, multiple of these events have happened, um, nothing like this has happened. It's sad. Um, again, I'll repeat, it's sad to really having to call George Ford's, you know, death as a sacrifice for the the whole black race around the whole world for people to finally stand up together because here's a man that has nothing to do with, you know, um, the fights that the, the bigger people before us had put on, you know, Martin Luther King, you know, Malcolm X or Mandela or, you know, most of these people that, you know, Rosa Park, most of these people that's really stood up for, for, you know, to make change, but not to know that just him being pinned down can actually, help us hopefully help us make that change i mean it's amazing but for for players and people to share that story on a regular it's kind of tough you know to put it that way because 
you know, these things have been happening over and over, and there's thousands of players out there and thousands of stories. So it's really difficult to feel like everybody can be on out there and sharing these stories. I mean, the best thing I think we can do, yes, the past is the past. Now is to enlighten, um, educate, you know, most of the other, you know, my friends, you know, my non-Black friends out there, just so we can talk a little bit and share some stories a little bit so they can really feel that, okay, if I'm really standing up for this, it's because now I really see it. Now I really believe that, you know, I have had all these privileges growing up and being, you know, this job or this team. Sorry, mailman's here. <laughs> this job or this team, you know, that I've been part of for, you know, this long. And But here's Kai. What extra work, what extra stuff that he has to put in to make sure that, you know, he's getting to this position is difficult. But I think sharing it going forward, um, it will be kind of flooding the media, flooding, you know, your feed because of some people go, you know, some people have this experience in a daily or in, you know, weekly or monthly. Um, Kai, very well said. Um, I think very well said. And there'll be opportunities in the future, I think, where these conversations can't die down. They must continue. But I do want to get to the soccer. You're a soccer player, one of the most accomplished ones this league has ever seen. Let me ask you a pretty blunt question. For someone who scored mm -hmm. 100-plus goals, do you think you get the credit that you deserve as one of the best strikers to ever play in MLS? <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, that, that, that simple answer there. But I don't dwell on it. I don't make it, you know, make me sad because, again, this MLS is one of the <laughs> – it's a big league in our country, period. You know, it's a, the top soccer league. You know, for myself, as Brad mentioned, for a player like myself or somebody that I came to America to just go to school and join my mom, and I went through this amazing system of getting an education at school and, you know, going to college and then getting drafted and then, you know, making the minimum salary and making your way through teams and teams and teams and really not saying I played for the best teams in the league, but to be – at the position where I'm at, could I have gotten more respect? If I've said it before, if I played for the U.S., probably, yeah. Could I have gotten more respect if, you know, I um, I don't know who I can compare myself to. Um, not really. But, no, I don't think I do. But I don't, I don't really want to dwell. And that's why people say, hey, you think you're going to break the record? I'm like, I don't really care. Because not who really cares if I do break the record or not? Who really cares if Kai is number one? Uh, uh, top goal scorers in the MLS. I don't think there's many. I think flying under the radar. You, you've always got to have that guy who kind of flies under the radar, right? And you're not one for flashy, for showy. You just get the job done. Um, and I think that that's admirable, to say the least. Um, you know, Steve was a flashy player, so he got all the limelight, and I just sat in the midfield and, you know, passed the ball. So we all got to have the guy who's flashy yeah. and the guy who... Then again, I feel like the, the the system, the way our system is set up, you know, I and Chris Wondolowski are mm -hmm. definitely people that should get so much respect and love and promotion um, from MLS because the yep. reason why is this is the system that we breathe. This is a system that has been preached is go to school, get drafted, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying get paid, you know, the lowest amount of money, but play in the reserve leagues and this and come up like we should be. You know, there should be so much respect. Like, wow, 
you guys did all that and then your top goal scorers in the MLS? I mean, yes, we can pay the millions and millions for the top players around the world to come to the league, but we've been around this league for so long and we're standing role model to the the young Americans that's playing, you know, in, for example, my Manhattan Beach Hurricanes that I played for, these, you know, AYSO teams to say, you can do it. You can go to high school, you can leave high school, go to college, and you can become one of the best American players out there. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, man. I'm I'm on team Kai, bro. It's uh I want you to answer answer this question carefully. Best mm-hmm. team you've ever played for. And we're we're talking ever. Because I know I know um, the answer in terms of no, talent. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it, it you say talent because there's different, you know? True. So people people will then think because I scored twenty four plus play up with twenty six goals for Columbus, I would say that's the best team I've ever played for. But at the same time, I played for Houston Dynamo that had the most mature locker room with the Dwayne De La Sarria, Pat Anstad, uh, uh Ricardo Ricardo Clark, Wade Barrett, like all those guys had that won championships before. And, you know, us the young boy, Stuart Holden, Bobby Boswell and Jeff Cameron, like that was such a good team team mm-hmm. because they were serious players that's won championships and able to do that. Columbus, our system was just one of the best systems that I've ever been and was executed so well that we're able to do that. But then here comes Kansas City where I basically grew for four years and we also implemented something and we just really loved each other on and off the field. You know, I, 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 I share a story um, a little while ago, actually, about when when Trevor Martin was uh, was was you know was killed too. Me and CJ Sapong decided to wear our hoodies out, and then after the after the game, we were nervous actually to wear our hoodies because we didn't know how everybody was going to take it. But after the game, you know, Beasley and the, and the, and the guys calling and them came up to us like, "Bro, you should have told us you were doing that. We would have done it with you." That was the family we had in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So, so there's such different teams that I've been part of. Um, I was thinking more Orange County Blue Star, but that was just uh, me, bro. You know, <laughs> team, team. You know, I thought you were talking just, you know, professional MLS. <laughs> uh, we, I mean, they, they, keep, they, they need to do a story about us. You know, we had seriously the best PDL team that would ever be in the history of, of, of America, I want to say. <laughs> we would roll up to LA Galaxy and they'd want a practice game or Chivas and our team Steve would just roll on on these teams. Um Kai, so you've been back in training for a little bit. Um how has that been? Because it's obviously very different. We're in a global pandemic still that, you know, let's not forget that. Um, yeah. you've been doing some, you know, I think it's individual training and maybe, yeah. maybe some group training, maybe not. How has the training been? How have you found it? Um, it must be a very strange experience for you. Yeah, it's, it's completely strange for myself. Um, it was one of the things I wasn't going to go to because it was optional training. It's not, it's not mandatory. Um, but I wanted to, I've been around for so long, you know, I'm in the, I don't know what you call my age anymore, Brad. <laughs> uh, but, but I've been around so much that something I was like, hey, if we're going to be part of this pandemic and we have a different system of training, you got to get out there and go check it out. So, you know, calling it Corona style of training, uh, the individual, you know, training, it's actually harder than being at preseason because there's this mental toughness that you need to push yourself with some of us 
you know, how you feel, how you want to get your yourself back ready. Because you've been doing, I've been doing all these runs on my own and really thinking, okay, maybe we'll play anytime. But then now we're doing this individual, you know, four people per a field and set up in this different ways and you can't pass the ball to each other. You know, you're doing by time and basically an hour of just like uh, constantly working. So it's been different. You know, I just saw actually um, it's been approved now for us to have group trainings or team trainings. So I'm really looking forward to that. Having played soccer like with a team since I don't even remember what three months ago almost, mm-hmm. and that's the long that's the longest. Not even it doesn't even happen in in, in the off season. You still find friends <laughs> and kick the ball around, you know. Yeah, that's crazy. That's a, that's a good point. I don't I don't think fans realize this is probably the longest any player has ever gone without playing soccer with like a group of people right even just two people kicking the ball around in, in an off season yeah. you get that luxury yeah. and this is I the longest know. anyone has gone it's crazy so I'm, I'm imagining that you guys are so so excited but last one for me is do you ever put any thought into how long you want to do this for is there a goal for age or i mean my, from me and i and a lot of players mm-hmm. it's just play till the wheels fall off until somebody's not going to pay you anymore. Just play because somebody calls you and say, Hey, I got a better job for you. (laughs) Not even then, dude. It's just not, it's never the same. It's never the same. So is, is there any any thought process into like Steve said, amount of goals you want to hit or games played or age, or is it just, let's just roll the dice and and see how long we can do this for. Cause it looks like you got five years left. I have, I have always, you know, really been that person where I said, you know, my body's my temple and, you know, eat well and really try to take care of it. And I've been blessed to not have, you know, the tough, you know, knockdowns and injuries. Um, so I told myself that, you know, I want to push it to 40. But to be honest with you, with the way things has happened this year, it hit me so hard and still is to a point thinking, could this be could could this year be the last year that I actually play really you know like like soccer? Because if we don't get back to it, it's the end of my contract. You know, I'm 36 mm. next year. How many teams mm-hmm. can say yes? I want to sign you. I mean, I know I can still produce, but how many teams are still out there saying, oh yeah, he's 36. We didn't play all last year. Then I'll still give Kai a contract. But mm-hmm. I feel great. But it feels great. I'm playing more than 20, 30 games a year, starting and playing basically 90 minutes. So I think if I can still play 90 minutes, you know, more than 20, 30 games, then, you know, I'm still going. But when I start sitting outside and thinking uh, maybe coming off the bench, you know, play 10 games a year, then I think that's that's a sign to say, okay, that's it. Um, Kai, I want to end on this. So we have a mutual friend. His name Uh is Chad, the fitness coach. Who <laughs> once worked for the Sanders? Why you got to bring Chad into this? <laughs> so he, I, I spoke with Chad last week. You know, speaking about something, and then I said, "Hey, by the way, you're working with my friend Kai Kamara. You know, he's just he's a freak of nature. He's a beast. He's an athlete, and he spoke so well of you." And then I asked Chad. I said, "Is Kai the most athletic player you've seen, naturally gifted, or is it Oba Femi Martins?" And he said it was Oba. So I just wanted to let you know. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, no, yes, I would say over because of those backflips. <laughs> but I'm gonna go back to training and I'm gonna give Chad the straight face. I'm like, really? Really? 
Like, look at my height. Look at what I can do. Because you've never seen me do, you know, six backflips after a goal. Girl, Oba, I don't even know how Oba did it and how he does it. But I remember watching him when I was back at, you know, Cal State Dominguez Hills. And I'm like, this guy is awesome. So, you know, power to you guys. You were able to play with him. But, Chad, I'm definitely going to give him some stick for that. Uh, I love that. Kai, appreciate your time, man. Thank you, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, bro. Good to talk to you, man. Talk to you soon. If you have a new or chronic medical concern you're hoping just gets better, not getting help could mean getting worse. Medical providers want you to know we're still here to support you. Telehealth appointments are available, and medical providers are taking precautions to ensure your safety during in-person visits. Make the call to your healthcare team and let them make the call about your medical needs. Need care? Get care. We're here for you and your family. Brought to you by the Washington State Hospital Association. Delighted to say we're now joined by um, Sounders FC player Harry Ship, who has been in the thick of the negotiations with um, MLS and the MLS Players Union as a team rep. So, um, for more on what's been happening and even the soccer side of it as well, returning to training, we'll talk to Harry right now. And Harry, I want to begin by asking can you just give the uneducated people like myself? who I see the tweets, I see the outrage, I see different sides, but I don't actually know what's going on. What exactly was the situation with MLS and the Players Union? Where are we at now? And is it resolved? Yeah. Yeah, it's a a hard question to answer in a a short answer. But, um, yeah, obviously, uh, when we stopped playing back in March, you know, we figured the the longer things went on, eventually, you know, the league would come back, um, for, for a couple things. One, um, figuring out like a return to play scenario, because obviously we're, we're not going to be able to play games in, in home markets and they, they didn't see a situation where that was going to happen in the summer. And then two, figuring out um, some way that, that we as players could help, help them manage the losses that they were going to incur during this time. And I think it was hard because neither side throughout the negotiation really knew you know know still how long this is going to last so i think there was just so much uncertainty and not really any precedent for how to go about that and then um yeah it's tough you have two there's i think you know a lot of the emotional stuff come came um from the player side from like kind of the process and how that was handled from mls um and, and there was a lot of things that i think the league and the ownership could have done differently in terms of managing that process and then you also have the content of what was being exchanged back and forth in terms of, you know, what players were willing to take on in, in terms of managing those losses. So I think, you know, from the get-go, you look back to the MLS's first proposal of, of trying to, you know, suggesting to cut payers play for 75% for the rest of the year. I think, you know, that kind of set the tone for, for players being upset and feel, feeling disrespected. I think luckily the, the content got better from the league side. I think they realized that there was other ways to do it in terms of then just cutting base salary over this year. So I think we came up with some creative solutions um, with the CBA to help, help them, you know, spread those, spread that financial impact out over five or six years. Um, So now, you know, a few weeks later, we're at the point where we do have a ratified um, CBA that that'll last through 2025 and allows us to get back on the field this year. Um, that, that process, I think we spoke about this last time, but that process yeah. is always a tough one for, for the rep, right? 
Um, how, how was your message conveyed to the guys? Um, what did that look like in the locker room? Was it zoom calls? Was it foreign guys? Was it, Mm -hmm. uh, English speaking guys? How did you go about that process to keep everyone on the same page? And, and especially once that final, was it a final vote? Just kind of dive into that whole process. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's a good question too. Um, I think, you know, thinking back on it now, I think the good thing coming out of this compared to like the average CBA negotiation is that, you know, you had players, both domestic and international that were so more involved and, and willing to be involved in terms of educating themselves on all the issues and the nuances of all the issues. Um, but I think whenever, you know, there were times where I would, I had a bunch of zoom calls with the team um, because I was kind of playing two hats. I was, you know, dealing with our team and collecting feedback and communicating information to them while also trying to strategize as a, as a bargaining rep to, to you know, how we're going to, perform this negotiation with the league so I think when I was doing the Sounders group calls you know I would say hey guys can we get a call in 15 minutes and I think you know partly because of quarantine no one's doing a whole lot you know we would do that and have every single person on the call both you know Mm -hmm. English speaking non-English speaking and you know for me luckily we have guys on our team that that speak fluently both You're, you're using those guys to translate and you know collecting feedback but I would say it was very different than a normal negotiation where a lot of the international guys kind of just, you know, are okay with whatever and, you know, aren't given a ton of feedback. It, you know, for me, that, that was a positive to take away from it. Um, Harry, from my understanding, um, during this time, some teams, I don't know exactly about the Sounders, also weren't training, right? Took some time off from training. Yeah. So you took yeah. two months off because of the pandemic, come back, just yeah. start to build momentum and then have to stop again. Yeah. And now I have to go yeah. back again. Um, how much of just of, uh, of how much of a down of a distraction was that part that it began to affect the soccer part when what you need right now is as much training as possible? Yeah, um, yeah, I can, I can give some more context and detail for that. Uh, it was um, we've kind of been dealing, you know, this past last week and then through the weekend. I think we had given, been given a couple deadlines by the MLS in terms of like we need to we players basically had to approve this Disney thing because they were feeling time pressure from, from Disney to, to kind of get the green light on going through with the Orlando tournament. And I think we had these deadlines, but players didn't feel like they had all the information. So that deadline kept getting pushed back. And then, you know, eventually on Sunday, we were essentially given a direct threat, whatever you want to call it from Garber, basically saying, you know, we gave them our quote unquote final proposal and they said no. And, if you don't accept ours, we're going to lock you out. And I think it was kind of always saying that players were trying to judge what the potential consequences are and what, how we can do these negotiations. But I think to, you know, hear directly, like we're going to take away your pay and healthcare in the middle of what's going on in the world right now was, and you have 24 hours to make a decision. I think was something that like, it, the, that's when I go back to the process stuff. It's like, how can you, how can you do that to players? You know, we've been asking for answers on stuff for weeks and all of a sudden you come back and you give 24 hours and it's like, players feel like they're backed into a corner. So for us, you know, deciding, you know, that was Sunday night, deciding as a whole league, every single team not to go to practice Monday, it was, you know, yeah, there was the messaging side of it, but I think there was also the like, Hey, we need to take time, both as full player group calls, team group calls to really figure out, dive into these issues, figure out what our stance is on them, how strong we feel in that stance. And then, communicate that back to the league and I think for us you know that was probably the strongest I've been through two CBA negotiations and then this and that was by far the strongest I've ever seen a player pool in terms of willingness to stick together be together um, express their thoughts and and be very strong in the fact that like what they did to us both from a principal point of view and a content point of view wasn't good enough 
you know, luckily for us, the league kind of walked that back and then I think indirectly acknowledged that what they did was wrong. And luckily a day, a day or two later, we were able to figure out and lock it in. Um, so it ended up being three days of mispractice, which is unfor- an unfortunate consequence. Like no one wanted to mispractice after we spent the time coming back and, and practicing again. But, you know, for us, I, I do think for both the messaging and the, the educating ourselves piece, it was, it was a necessary step for us. Uh, there's always a final offer. That's one thing that I learned uh, on the last <laughs> negotiations is yeah. every time they say, this is our final offer. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> let me just extend the deadline six hours. And then that happens five yeah. or six times. It, it would be really interesting if there was something written into the CBA where it was like, okay, on uh, February 15th, when this thing expires, this deal has to get done, right? And put yeah. some pressure really on the league because they still don't think that the players are united enough to make a real no. significant stand. And until there's yeah. a, a date that says, okay, then lock us out, then that's when the real brass is going to either fold, not fold, but concede for once, or yeah. it, it'll strike some fear in, into, the, into some of the owners, and especially Don Garber, who you know, rules yeah. the roost. Um, and I truly... I truly think like when they gave that, that 24 hour ultimatum, like I, I truly think that they did that. And he told, he said they were going to communicate that offer directly to players, which we felt like was undermining the, the whole existence of Union. the MLSPA. And, yeah. and so I think, you know, us like feeling like that. And that's why I go back to like us feeling united. Like they kind of did that to themselves in terms of how they handled that process. And we would have been willing to accept the seven month consequence of potentially not getting paid just to not accept that deal. And I think for them, like us deciding not to go to practice was like a signal to them, like, Hey God, these people are actually together and are willing to go through with this. So like, maybe we need to kind of change our tune because we can't just bully them, you know, in the last 24 hours of what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. You put, you put all uh, that into the, uh, all those instances back into the memory bank for the next negotiation. You just, you just yeah, can't, for, you can't forget what actually happened. No. Right. As much as people and, are happy. And, and not like obviously the whole player pool, you know, whether it's we're dealing with this again at some point in the next couple of years or five or six years from now for a new CBA, like obviously the whole player pool is not going to be the same, but I do think mm-hmm. there are going to be people that were here and wounds that haven't healed yet. And I do think it's like up to the league to kind of re-earn trust from a lot of players, um, you know, the league and, and ownership. Um, love that, Harry. Harry, um, last thing for me, I want to know, Let's let's go away from COVID, away from what's happening right now, away from the yeah. the the bargain agreement. Just just the football. How has it actually been getting the ball back at your feet? Even though I know it's been isolated, individualized. How has that part been? Just is it's just just let's talk about football. How was the ability to get the grass under your feet, get the football, see yeah. your teammates? How has that been? Yeah. Um... <laughs> Uh, I would say the last couple of weeks, it was, you know, the prior couple of months before that we were pretty cooped up. So honestly, it was just nice the first couple of days to, to be outside and, and running around, like not doing workouts in your own apartment. I think what we were doing the last couple of weeks was, was terrible. I mean, we're just running in a box. It's essentially glorified fitness with the ball. Some of it, um, you know, the reason we love soccer is kind of that interconnectedness and being able to play with other guys and, and competing. And we haven't been able to do that. Um, today was like the first day which is like, I never thought I'd be celebrating this as a step, but like we actually got to pass to each other um, and like, like with groups of five or six people. So I think, you know, that's kind of step two in this process. And I, I don't exactly know when we'll be able to train in full again, but it was nice to at least today be able to, to pass the ball to one another. 
Love that. Um, Ari, always a pleasure, yeah. man. Thanks for making the time, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, guys. Sounders FC Classics return this Saturday, June 6th, as we look back on the club's US Open Cup 3 P by re-airing the 2011 tournament final against the Chicago Fire. Watch the entire contest at 7 p.m. on JoeTV, SoundersFC.com, or the Sounders FC app, and listen on 950KJRAM. This edition of Sounders FC Classics is presented by Zulily, the official online retailer of Sounders FC. Download the app and shop today. So make sure, guys, you tune in on Saturday, 7 p.m. Um, that was a really good one. It featured a world-class goal by Ozzy Alonso, if I remember correctly. Um, ridiculous yeah. goal. So it was a really good one. So, um, Brad, any thoughts, any last words on the MLS, the tournament? I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just excited, you know. I think um, it's, it's about time. Uh, I'm glad that the guys got something done. And it seems like from the post that, you know, nobody is upset about it, too upset. Um, I know that people are going to have to leave their families and, you know, wives might be pregnant and, you know, that, that's a difficult ask in and of itself. Um, but ultimately, uh, soccer players life is you, you got to go where the ball is. You know what I mean? Like we, I'd have to go into January camp on January 3rd after, you know, playing an MLS cup on December 10th. And then I'm gone for Sounders preseason after that. So I'm gone for three months and it's not ideal. Um, you know, but ultimately this is the job and, and you got to do it. And, um, you know, it's, it's time. I, I, I'm just excited to watch some games, you know, like we, we can actually talk about what the yeah. guys are doing on the field. Like that's going to be a first for us in a long time. Like we don't have to dive into the history of a player every single week before we're doing a podcast. You know, it's gives us an, also in the fans an opportunity to see their, their boys, um, get the job done against, yeah. you know, competition. Yeah, exactly. Agree. Agreed completely. Yeah. So hopefully that happens um, sooner rather than later. Well, guys, thanks for joining us um, during these testing times. Um, but we do see the light at the end of the tunnel, especially with um, MLS, the direction it's headed. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, winging it with Zach and Brad. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you like, subscribe, rate, do all that good stuff wherever you listen to the podcast. And we will talk to you guys next week.